Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Uh, I'm happy to be reporting to you at, uh, at about 11.37 at night. Um, I'm a little tired, so, you know, maybe this episode will be a little shorter than usual, but, but let's just get right to it, okay? <laughs> let's get right down to business, okay? Today, I would like to talk about Eraserhead. This is a weird, weird fucking movie. Alright? Now, uh, let me give you some context first, right? Because it's always good to start with the context. This movie is David Lynch. Okay? And if you don't know David Lynch, the man is pretty synonymous with weird, surreal shit that, you know, you kind of have to pick and choose details and put them together like some sort of puzzle piece that ultimately creates a meaning kind of kind of dependent on on the individual uh the individual watcher um uh, david lynch's other works include twin peaks Mulholland drive he did the elephant man which um is a very very famous old movie but i'm getting ahead of myself here basically david lynch is known for doing weird weird weirder than weird shit okay so this uh this eraser head you can pretty much you can pretty much tell where it's going can't you so a while back i was browsing for movies to watch and i saw eraser head and the cover of it the cover i was drawn to it because on the cover there is a man with very very weird fucking hair and he's he is staring down the camera in this very very disturbing like look on his face and the color palette too of the of the of the cover of the movie is very like it's very like dead gray you know and just like just that coupled with the look he had on his face i saw it and i was i was compelled to see it i was like okay all right all right cuz you know you know, not a lot of stuff does that nowadays. You you look at a lot of movie covers these days, like Top Gun Maverick was a good movie, all right? Let me get that out of the way. But looking at the cover of the movie, you know, I'm not I'm not interested in it. It's just Tom Cruise like walking and he has sunglasses on. Like, you know, that doesn't interest me, right? And that's just not interesting in general. I mean, it's just the leading guy with, you know, fucking sunglasses on. Like, where where's the drama? Where's the action? Where's the where's the heart, you know? And that's such that's such an like underappreciated aspect of like movie making is the cover. And I don't think the director's in charge of that, but I feel like they should at least have a say because it is technically their artistic vision. If you're browsing movies on a streaming service, which, you know, most of us do nowadays, obviously, and you're looking you, Okay, first of all, on a streaming service, you're going to see the cover first before you see anything else. You may see the title first, but ultimately your eyes will be drawn to the cover that you see. So if it's a good if it's a good cover, if it's something weird or compelling, something that captures your eye, you're more likely to watch the movie, which will increase revenue sales, you know? Which will well <laughs> Really, it shouldn't be about the money, but, you know, you're more likely to watch it, right? And that's what I had with Eraserhead. I saw it. 
I saw the man on the cover, and he's not he's not Hollywood attractive. He looks like a normal guy that you would see on the street, minus the Frankenstein's bride hair that he has. And I see that, like, <laughs> fucking uh, Kubrick-esque mile-yard stare on his face, and I see the washed-out, disturbing gray... Like, it, it looks like the aftermath of a bombing, basically. If you could imagine a color palette like that, that's what it's like. I saw this, and I said, I must watch this. <laughs> now, the actual movie. It's good. I like it. Um, let, me, let, me, let me get a quick uh, criticism out of the way. It's not fun to watch. I might as well tell the truth. It's not fun to watch. Uh, it's very, very quiet. Very, very quiet. You know? There's almost no dialogue. There is dialogue, but there's very, very nearly... You know, there's there's next to none. You know, people, people are content in this movie to sort of stare and just look disturbed or confused. And I think that's... I think that's a great artistic choice that's definitely what david lynch was going for but with that you get a sense of of slowness you know you you get a you get a sense that the movie is not progressing at all and that's that's the sad reality of it is that a lot of these you know artistic um experiments like things things that you could expect out of david lynch who is known for doing his own thing and being weird and surreal. A lot of these things that these artistic directors do, these bold decisions, a lot of them don't pan out. You know, Kubrick, my fucking favorite director. I love Kubrick. I literally love him. I wish he was still alive so I could meet him. But, you know, even he doesn't do everything perfectly. I I think <laughs> I think personally the guy is probably a huge pervert. If you if you watch some of his movies, you'll you probably see what I mean. But I digress. Um, yes, the movie is very slow, and it's not any shorter than, you know, what you would expect a movie to be. Like, I don't know the running time for Eraserhead, actually, but it's, you know, it's like an hour 32. I think it's like just about two hours, actually, if, if memory serves. So it's it's long. And like I said, with with no dialogue and with long, long stretches of very very empty atmospheric shots which i i actually think those are really good but with that you get a sense that the movie isn't going anywhere and you almost you almost feel like i hate to say it i really do but you almost feel bored with it you're almost like you know what what is what is happening who am i supposed to empathize with who am i supposed to care about uh, the main character of the movie is, I, I believe his name is Henry, but even Henry, because he's so quiet and so, he, he's so imprintable upon, which is to say, in a more positive light, that he's bland. He's, he, he's an audience surrogate, which is to say that he's meant, it's, it's, he's the type of character that the audience is meant to pour themselves into, to sort of relate themselves with uh, the experiences that he has throughout the movie. Now, like I said, you it's confusing and before I before I start you know jerking this movie off, 
it's confusing in the sense that you don't know what the you don't know what the fuck's going on. And that does make it not very fun to watch, unfortunately. And I say unfortunately because I really do like this movie. I that that little criticism, I wanted to get that out of the way because I really do like Eraserhead and I really do recommend it. But if you're trying to watch a movie with friends and you're trying to like, you know, have a fun scare or something, Eraserhead is not that movie, all right? Eraserhead is like looking at <laughs> this is not too super duper accurate, but off the top of my head, Eraserhead is like reading Shakespeare and then dissecting it, you know? It's not fun, but it is kind of like a brain exercise, you know? And the thing about Eraserhead is that, for me, it's actually fun. It's fun to examine and it's fun to analyze because you <laughs> you have these, like, sequences of, of weird, weird shit going down. Like, there there's a dream sequence. Okay, spoiler alert! You have a dream sequence where this fucking lady, this lady who lives inside of a radiator, okay? And she has these big, big old tumor sacs on the side of her face that make her look like Sandy Cheeks from Spongebob, okay? And she's she never loses this weird, freaky smile that she has. And she looks like a stereotypical 50s housewife, basically. So, in a way, she looks almost perfect, but... It's like David Lynch is trying to present her with these, like, you know, I hate to say it, I hate to be vain, but it's almost like David Lynch portrays this seemingly perfect, according to 50 standards, housewife, but she's tainted by these, you know, really unsettling looking, like, tumor sacs on her face. And, you know, there's a dream sequence where she's singing and she's... She suddenly, she's singing this like weird, simple little tune and suddenly she stops. She stops, right? And she looks right at the camera for, I want to say like 20 seconds, just dead silence. And a bunch of uteruses start falling from the sky. And she starts singing again. And she starts stepping on them. She starts stomping on the uteruses that fall from the sky. All the while, she never loses that smile. And she never, she never <laughs> breaks eye contact with the camera. It's fucking creepy, actually, now that I think back on it. But at the same, at the same time, when you take it at face value, I mean, the shit, <laughs> the shit make no sense. But that's what I'm saying, like... If you, if you, if you like dedicate your time to, you know, pausing every once in a while and saying, how the fuck does this fit into what David Lynch is trying to express here with this movie, then it becomes a lot more enjoyable in that sense. Not everybody is looking for that. And so I only half recommend this movie because if you're looking for something that you have to piece together and figure out for yourself, and, you know, figure out what it means to you, then, hell yeah, go for it. This movie's fucking awesome for that purpose, but, you know, if you just want fun, if you just want, if you just want plain fun, and there's nothing wrong with that, this movie's not for you. That being said, 
I love how this movie uses darkness. I fucking love it. Okay? There are just these, like, I want to say 30-second long solitary shots of just pure darkness. And you're, you know, and you're thinking, you're thinking as an audience member, you're thinking what is going to happen? What is David Lynch about to pull? What weird, strange, tacky shit is about, is he about to pull out of his sleeve? And you're sitting, you're sitting there for 30 seconds wondering what the fuck is going on? Because in this scene, Henry, the main character, is in his apartment, you know, his home, a place that is supposed to be synonymous with safety, and he opens his door to look into the hallway of his apartment complex, and there's nothing but pure darkness, and it envelops the fucking camera. That is just such a freaky subversion of what the home is supposed to represent, it is supposed to be a place of safety and security. But yes, we get this we get this long 30 second shot of just pure darkness and then this woman. This this woman fucking I kid you not. She emerges from the darkness. It's it's almost like the shadows of the hallway are like 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 water that she passes through eventually. She like cuts her way through the darkness and, and she's right in front of the camera. I kid you not. She appears almost out of nowhere and is staring down the camera with those, you know, innocuous eyes of her. Like those those innocuous eyes. And oh, it's just, it's so freaky. It's, <laughs> it's so freaky because the entire movie is presented in that style where everything seems wrong. Like... Henry goes on a date with his girlfriend to her parents' house, and yes, that's an that's an anxious experience, and the anxiety is very well very well represented, but it feels like her parents are serial killers. I mean, it, it feels like he stepped into a horror movie just by existing, you know. I mean, there's no real reason why he should feel scared. There's no real reason why us viewers should feel anxiety. But we do anyways. Um, the girlfriend's parents, they don't do anything wrong in that scene. They don't do anything disturbing. They're just off. Like, their mannerisms, their faces, their actions, their words, it's all just slightly off from what we expect. And the whole movie is in bleak gray. So the whole world just seems like depressed and terminal and and then you get to the actual like weird shit so like um in that very same scene at her girlfriend's house they serve up dinner which is a little little tiny pieces of rotisserie chicken and they they you know henry the main character stabs his fork into the chicken and then the chicken starts like flailing and like leaking blood at in in a way and I hate to be I hate to be weird, but in a way that is very very heavily reminiscent of period flow. I, there I said it's very it's it, it carries that weird sense of like human maturing, you know, like in that in that scene, Henry is just 
you know, scared to say anything. He just tries, he just, my man, he just tries to eat a bite of his chicken and then it starts bleeding and flailing and the mother starts like, you know, like spasming and like sobbing and she runs out of the room and, you know, poor Henry is so fucking confused and scared. And I haven't even talked about the baby. Holy shit. I forgot about the baby. Oh my God. Dude. That's the plot of this movie. Yeah, yeah, I know. This movie actually has a plot, believe it or not. Henry and his girlfriend get a baby, and it looks like a freaking alien. It looks like E.T. And the whole movie primarily is him coming to terms with his fucked up, you know, alien baby that he doesn't know how to truly take care of. I mean, in one scene that <laughs> that is actually reminiscent of a, you know of a, of a modern jump scare, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect a jump scare in an old movie like this, but there actually is a pretty nasty one, there's this scene where he's trying to take care of the baby that, um, you know, uh, the, the mother, his girlfriend, has actually completely abandoned him, so he has to take care of this baby on his own, and he's, you know, he's fumbling with all these, like, different things, like a thermometer, you know, like, diapers to change the baby and stuff like that and then the the camera like jumps it plays this loud noise and the camera jump cuts to the baby like covered in sores and like pus and icky gross zits and shit and it's like holy shit i was not expecting that in a very quiet movie i have to say i have to say in a very quiet movie that sort of jump scare is very very effective just from like a horror movie uh viewpoint however However, before I get ahead of myself anymore, I would really like to talk about what I think this movie is about. Because the core of this movie and the draw of it are definitely how each individual person represents its, or each individual person interprets its significance. Let me preface this by saying that David Lynch himself in an interview said that this is by and far his most spiritual film. And he chose not to elaborate, of course. But me personally, I believe that by saying that this is his most spiritual film, this is him subtly telling everyone listening and everybody who watches Eraserhead that this movie is not like... It's not clear-cut, interpret it one way or another. Because it's his most spiritual film, it's something that speaks to the spirit of every person listening and watching the movie it speaks to our souls you know and in our in our thoughts and our individual human experiences so truly this movie the reason why i enjoy it so much is because i think it says so much about every one of us based purely on how we interpret <laughs> all the fucked up weird nonsense that the movie shows us you know some people think it's about um some people think that it's purely about coming to terms with fatherhood and not feeling prepared. Some people believe that it's about, you know, commitment issues and about, you know, feeling terrified of the world because Henry, you know, can't leave his apartment without being horrified of the world around him. It says so much about the individual based on what they think this movie is about. It's it's beautiful, actually. I... I think that's beautiful. I truly do. On a most literal sense, this movie is about a man who is 
terrified of the world around him and, you know, even somewhat disgusted with his own self. And yet he finds himself in these situations where he's in a relationship with a woman that he may or may not truly love, but he feels he feels scared of being committed to her. And, you know, it's shown throughout the movie sort of subtly that he lusts for that woman across the hall who I uh, mentioned beforehand was the one who appeared out of pure darkness. He lusts after her, even though the movie doesn't say it. You can, you can sort of uh, glean that. And I think that this movie is also about coming to terms with fatherhood um, and feeling that you aren't prepared for it. It's not exactly it's not exactly a thing that you can deny the movies about because the plot in its most literal sense is about a man taking care of his weird alien baby and spoiler alert ultimately killing the baby because well let me let me get into that Woo! because uh, I just love I love like piecing it all together now let me do that so I think that this movie is about a man who's terrified about the world around him. And as a result, he acts in these very, like, very dysfunctional ways. He lusts after this woman that he's not committed to. He, well, to be fair, his girlfriend is a little, a little, uh, emotionally, uh, unstable in some scenes. Um... And Henry, Henry actually does try his best uh, when coming to terms with being a father and trying to take care of his child, but he's, he's ultimately too inexperienced and he can't, he can't really do it, uh, basically, is what it boils down to. However, I think that Henry is a much, much deeper character than a man who's simply afraid of the world and has to come to terms with being a father. I think he is much, much more than that in a very sinister way. Although perhaps sinister is more of a crutch phrase that I'm using. I think Henry is a very flawed character. And I think ultimately in the end of the movie, he lets his evil get the better of him. And here's why. Throughout the movie, Henry sees these visions of a woman, a beautiful woman, living in a radiator who tells him repeatedly, she sings this, she tells him, in heaven, everything is fine. I've got my good things. And wait, fuck, I butchered the quote. Anyways, I've got good things and so do you. In heaven, everything is fine. That's what she tells him. Me personally, I believe that this is indirectly, this is this sort of recurring vision is a way of representing the fact that Henry himself is trying to somewhat justify these sentiments about death being better than living. I don't believe that the visions are real. I believe that he's seeing this and his own psyche is telling him that in heaven, everything is just perfectly fine. And throughout the movie, Henry's horrified of the world he lives in. So it makes sense that he would turn to these sort of visions to try and believe in something better. Now, ultimately, this woman that he sees in the radiator actually comes to dominate him uh, in some ways. Uh, not like that, you sickos. 
no, she comes to sort of command him in a way. I interpreted uh, this because here's my rationale. Uh, in the radiator vision scenes, the woman that uh, tells him in heaven, everything is fine. She actually, she, she has music accompanying, uh, accompanying her messages. And in a later scene, when Henry is about to um, commit adultery with the woman across the hall, we hear the music. H hold on, let me backstep. She doesn't sleep with him. She stops because she sees the ugly ass baby and she gets scared and runs off. Now, Henry has been thirsting for this woman throughout the entire movie, and he has felt this pressure to take care of this baby who he can't please. He's, you know, he's been trying, but he just can't, like, appease this freaking alien baby. And now it, it comes in between him and this beautiful woman that was going to offer him some sort of sexual refuge that he couldn't find anywhere else. And suddenly this baby ruins it. And in that, in that sequence, you hear the radiator woman's music, the one who indirectly tells him that being dead is being better than, you know, it, being dead is better than being alive. He lies in bed, eyes wide open, staring at the ceiling and hearing that music. To me, that signifies that he is, uh, he is, he is experiencing these thoughts that being dead is far better than being alive and that's right before he kills the baby. So to me, I feel like this movie is about more than just coming to terms with fatherhood. I feel like this movie is about, you know, battling. Is is It's about a man battling with these very, very dark thoughts and ultimately losing to them. This is not a very... Uh, not a very rare opinion to have, but I feel like the ending of the movie also signifies Henry's death as well. Now, the ending of the movie, I, I know, spoiler alert again, if you're still listening, I believe that in the scene, in the very end, where Henry finally meets a life-size version of the woman who lives in his radiator, she embraces him, and suddenly this bright, bright, like, hurricane of pure whiteness envelops the both of them. And it's so loud. It, so it sounds like thunder cracking, like some sort of horrifying change is taking place. And the movie cuts to black like that, and it's over. Now, personally, I totally believe that he's dead. <laughs> because that woman... In the radiator has been telling him the whole time that death is better than being alive and finally in this last scene after murdering his baby and leaving his girlfriend and ultimately having nothing left he finally meets her they embrace and are both enveloped by pure whiteness and that's it so I don't think I have to. I don't think I have to go too deep into that as to why I think he's dead. It's not a very rare uh, opinion to have on the ending, but that's because I feel as though, um, no matter which way you interpret the movie, 
Henry does in some way, shape, or form die at the end. You could even make a case that he doesn't die physically, but he does die sort of spiritually or mentally because, I mean, he's killed his baby. His girlfriend has left him. You could see the ending actually as him finally embracing and being married to these ideas of life not having much worth. Although perhaps that doesn't mean that he's dead. It just means that spiritually he's lost all hope and yet still continues to live in this gray world that he inhabits. In a sense, I, this movie can be taken a number of ways. And I think I've I think I've ran, I think I've rambled enough about um, how much I think the movie represents. Why don't I just talk about what this movie does right in terms of camera work? Uh, in terms of s cinematography, sorry, my, my chair, like, Jesus Christ, that scared me a little, actually. I was leaning back in my chair, and it almost, like, folded over. It's one of those special chairs. Anyways, um, this movie is very, very insistent on staying still in terms of camera work. And I respect the fuck out of that, because that's what Kubrick does, too. Kubrick and at least David Lynch in Eraserhead, they both stick the camera in one spot and they keep it there. They don't let it like jitter. They don't let it move. Breaking Bad, one of my favorite shows, the camera work in the early seasons is like, it's like they're on a rocking boat. Like it's all over the place. But no, in Eraserhead, it is deadly still. It's almost like the camera itself is experiencing rigor mortis. You know what I mean? It gives a very unnatural feeling to it all. Now, I like how this movie uses the color gray as well. I think I think that it not only makes it seem like an old horror movie, it also makes the more modern sense of horror a lot more jarring. Because this movie, since it's so quiet and so like symbolic... It's creepy as hell, sure, but like for the most part, it's kind of just like an old horror movie where you're like, okay, well this is creepy, but it's not really scary. And then you get to a dream sequence where like Henry's walking on a stage and suddenly the spike appears from his neck and cuts his head off. And you're like, what the fuck? What the actual fuck just happened? And it's still in like gray, but the, now there's blood all over the floor and the, the blood is just black. Like everything else, like the stage is black and... The, the blood is black too and it's like what is happening like all these colors are melting together and it's so uniform and jarring and odd and you know it, it really enhances that discomfort that the audience is feeling at that time also also that's um dream sequence where his head gets ripped off his head is very shortly replaced by the baby's head and to me that signifies that he's feeling as though his sense of individuality and his sense of freedom is being replaced by the responsibility that he has towards his alien baby, which is another reason that he eventually murders it because he feels this sort of resentment for it sort of quote unquote taking his life away from him. You know what I mean? <sighs> so if you couldn't tell, I do like this movie. I think the fact that there's no dialogue can be a sort of it can be a drawback and it does not make the food it does not make the movie fun to watch in fact it actually it adds a sort of feeling as though you're not going anywhere it makes it feel like the movie is not progressing 
honestly. Um, and it's, it is slow. And it's not all that fun to watch. It's not like, you know, it's not like last week's episode. It's not like Hereditary where, you know, you can get sucked in and enveloped by the acting and, like, the, the disturbing cult shit. This is just a depressing take on fatherhood and, you know, social anxiety and mental illness. It's just a very, very sobering look at people who are suffering from this and how they often tend to go without help until, you know, unfortunately it's too late. Um, yeah, this movie is, is amazing, you know? I love it, and it's the only David Lynch I've seen, so I can confidently say it's my favorite David Lynch. <sighs> well, um, it's now 12, so I'm gonna stop here. Thank you, and have a lovely night, you lovely people.